<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. Yeah! I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Oh Picture. God, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen and either delve into our weekend entertainment focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra-large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, grab that extra-large popcorn, dear listeners, because <laughs> we've got a special double feature episode for you. The first film is Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, also known as The Last Time Anyone Needs to See Albino Affleck. <laughs> Following that, we're heading to remote Iceland to watch Lamb, starring Numi Rapace's cheekbones and an adorable, um, uh, well, we'll get to that. So first up, let's take a stroll way back to the late Middle Ages, near the end of the 14th century, right smack in the middle of the Hundred Years' War that raged between England and France. Here we meet a mulleted Matt Damon, serving us American redneck goes to medieval times realness. <laughs> he plays Sir Jean de Carouge, or Sir John de Carouge, as he says. <laughs> a French knight whose wife Marguerite, played by Jodie Comer, has accused nobleman Jacques de Gris, that's Adam Driver, of rape. Now, this is about six and a half centuries before the Me Too movement, so there was no chance of just believing the victim. (laughs) No, only God could determine whether her claims be true or false. And, of course, there's no way to deduce God's judgment on the matter, other than the ever-reliable fight to the death. (laughs) Written by Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Nicole Holofcener, and directed by Ridley Scott, this is The Last Duel. Helen, what was your first impression? My first impression was I'm really annoyed that this movie is two and a half hours long, but I'm happy that I'm seeing it with the two of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The three of us saw this together. It's the first movie we've all seen for the podcast in I can't even tell you the last time that I happened know. in mm-hmm. theaters. So. 100 years ago, shortly after the late Middle Ages. Exactly. Yeah. That's <laughs> when it was. Yeah. So that was my first impression. How about you, Sinclair? I had a mullet and blunt bang. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, this film had a very clunky start for Mm me. I honestly just found myself chuckling every time Matt Damon would start speaking. Yes. I could not take anything seriously when this film first started. I could not get into this world at all. Everything felt very false to Mm -hmm. me. And it actually felt like I had gone back in time to a movie theater in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something was just not sitting right about this film for me from the very beginning. Mm. So my first impression is that I went into this movie literally knowing nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I turned over to one of you and said that. I was like, I don't yeah. know what this movie is about. It, it's, all I knew was that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were in it together and that I saw a pic of J-Lo watching it backstage from the premiere at the Venice Film Festival. Mm. I didn't even know it was Ridley Scott. And I didn't know it was set in the Middle Ages. I didn't know anything. Mm. So right yeah, off the bat... Had you looked at the poster? like <laughs> No, I don't even think so. <laughs> And right off the bat, so you see these three characters getting dressed for something, and one of them is Matt Damon, looking like an extra on an episode of Vikings, putting his knightly armor on. Then Adam Driver, who I also didn't know was in this. And then we see this brief shot of bleach blonde Ben Affleck, who like fully committed to the look with that bleached eyebrows and goatee. I can't. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I also just laughed out loud. And basically, I mean, we all know that just carried to the end of the film pretty much or at least the first two thirds definitely the majority of it yeah i'm with you sinclair i was like there was it just felt so detached from the beginning and false that it took a long time to get into this film yes well i mean it gives you a long time to try and get into it it is two and a half hours it tells you the same (laughs) story three times so (laughs) 
you have three opportunities to try to get into this yeah. movie. Okay, well, why don't we get into the very long-winded storytelling, <laughs> Helen? So as Edison mentioned, this screenplay started out being written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and it's their first screenplay that they are writing together or that they wrote together again since Goodwill Hunting, mm-hmm. which we all know they won the Best Original Screenplay Oscar for. Mm-hmm. Um, so this story is based off of the 2004 book by Eric Yeager of the same name, The Last Duel, which goes into the story of... The duel between these two men over the accused rape of Carouge's wife, mm-hmm. Marguerite. So they decided to write it in three acts. I couldn't figure out, I couldn't find information as to like why they made that decision. Right. But they decided they wanted to tell it from the three perspectives. So Carouge, um, Legree, and then Marguerite as being the last section. And when they got to that section, they realized they probably shouldn't be writing it. <laughs> Because they're men. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So then that's when they brought on Nicole Holofcener to write the female part. And uh, she says that she just received an email from Ben that said, hey, do you want to write a sword fighting movie with us? And she just assumed it was a joke. But mm-hmm. no, nope. no, it was, it was mm-hmm. real. It was a real question. So that's when she was brought on to write the female perspective of this story. So it is, it's told in the three, in the three parts. It's kind of like, I don't know if anyone has watched the show, The Affair, the Showtime show, The Affair, but. Mm -hmm. No, I haven't. Is it similar? Yeah. So that's how that is told. Each episode is divided into two segments and it's two people's perspectives of the same situation. Okay. Far better executed in that show than in this film. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know that that's how this film was going to be structured. I didn't either. I didn't either. So, and I also didn't know that it was like attempting to be this sort of me too film right Mm -hmm. and so i just was watching it and the whole first you know the first Mm -hmm. act i guess Mm -hmm. the truth according to carouge is just kind of like what am i watching yes yeah yeah for me the premise of having these three versions of the event presented to us sounds interesting in theory Mm. but actually watching it it's became very tedious actually no it started very tedious and (laughs) continued to be very tedious until we got to Jodie Comer's account of what happened but that's almost two hours in Mm -hmm. and I feel as an audience member I had been so underwhelmed by that point by the first two Mm -hmm. stories that I didn't feel as invested in the film by the time we got to the most important account of the event Which is unfortunate because I think that this could have been a really good film if the focus had had been on her for the entire time. I completely agree with (laughs) you. Because at the end of the day, I don't feel like seeing those other two accounts are adding anything new to the conversation. No. No, I I agree with you. And what it also, it just makes the film less... Like, is this a film about a woman being raped or is this a film about two guys having a land dispute and battling back and forth with one another about all of the rest of it? Here's the thing. I think that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wanted to make a movie about the conflict between these two men. The conflict arises from the rape accusation and it feels as though they wanted to capitalize on the Me Too movement and make a Me Too movie while not really making a Me Too movie. Yeah, I felt the same way too. Because and there are a lot of moments in this where I was thinking to myself, these are broad brushstrokes of this issue. Yes. Like it's not anything that is really adding to what we know about this type of situation. Not at all. And the story from the novel, from the book is told from their perspective because Marguerite did not testify in this trial or in the court mm-hmm. um she she has no presence really in the book they mm-hmm. had to create her presence from what they would imagine she would have been like mm-hmm. so they want the movie to be about her but it can't be about her because they don't have enough information but they still try to sell it as a movie about this instance and it just felt really disingenuous to me and it, mm-hmm. it really bothered me <laughs> yeah it just didn't feel cohesive to me it's like yeah. it, if what you're trying to do is show us her story then just make the movie her exactly. story right but if you're what you're trying to do because i'm also interested in the story of these two men and their conflict right that's cool if that's its own movie that's great i'm gonna watch that yeah but then don't 
package us don't give us that film but packaged in this other way like exactly. is it what it's supposed to yeah. be yeah well i think too having the female writer come in because they felt that that was necessary because really at the end of the day I wouldn't think Ridley Scott would be the best director no. to tell this type of story. <laughs> He's the right director to tell the story of a duel between 100%. two men. Mm-hmm. And that can be great. And that's what it should have been. Mm-hmm. I will say that at the end of this film, the actual duel is incredible. Yes. Oh God, yeah. It's very engaging. And there are there are moments in this film that are engaging. But I felt the exact same way of just like, why did I need the two men stories before Jodie Comer's story, which they give you the little like insinuation of the truth according to Marguerite, and then they let the two words "the truth" linger. I'm like, okay, give me a fucking break. Like, so yeah, on the nose, I know. But I'm like, why am I? Why did I watch two hours of their bullshit when if the story's gonna be about her, just give me a story about her. <laughs> well, and I- the other part of it is if it's meant to show like, okay, the truth, then. The other two stories don't really matter then at the, the end of the, the day. The other two <laughs> yeah. stories don't really matter. That's actually yeah. totally yeah. true. Yeah, because it's like if Legree Le- Le- is an asshole and Carouge is an asshole, <laughs> who cares? Exactly. Right. They probably were. Yeah, Like, what does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Helen, you and I had certain <laughs> moments when we were sitting there watching this and it was moments where they were discussing rape Mm -hmm. and you and I turned to each other and we just kind of rolled our eyes Mm -hmm. at each other and this is you know two women sitting there not being affected at all by this story and not feeling like this story is doing anything for us as women in the audience Mm -hmm. we definitely had moments like that where we just were rolling our eyes at each other yeah and the thing there's no nuance in this movie no exactly it's so like you just said eddie on the nose and you know even moments where jodie comer's marguerite says i will not be silenced it's like okay yeah that's what women say now no freaking woman said that in 1386 or whatever. Like, that's just not... They're trying to make this Me Too move me applicable to this medieval conflict, and it just does not fit. It's fitting this square peg into the round hole, and it, it really didn't work. Well, and I think that we've moved past moments of, oh, look what you were wearing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, oh, you were in the house alone. Mm -hmm. And, oh, you thought that man was handsome? Did you say that? It's like we've moved past this very surface level view of how rape happens. Right. Mm -hmm. I also did not need to see the rape in her story. It's also the truth. I don't think I needed to see the rape at all, to be honest. Let alone twice. I I totally (laughs) agree with that, too. But I think that there is a... Look, the whole structure of the like Me Too movement and of all of this is about believing the accusers. Right. And they do state in this movie about how, you know, she was putting her life on the line, her reputation right. on the line to come out and say this. Mm-hmm. We have an understanding now, mm-hmm. we do, of all of the conversations, most people who pay attention to anything in the news, that like, it's not like it's easy for somebody to come out with an accusation like this, right? right? They are putting so much Mm -hmm. on the line to do that. Mm -hmm. So I just think that showing her being raped in her story was like an easy way out. It was like the only way that we believe her is if we see it. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if that's the truth, then we don't need to see it. We just have to believe her. Right. Yeah. Precisely. It, yeah. It's it's. Um, but that would require better storytelling, right? Yeah. <laughs> and better filmmaking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. No, it was this movie was structured all wrong, and it it really is trying to tell two stories in one. One of which deserves your full mm-hmm. attention, mm-hmm. and you can't give it to it, and that's really disappointing. Yeah, but I mean. A Ridley Scott movie about knights. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would still want to see that, but it just doesn't feel as relevant or timely right now. So it does have this this feeling of something has been placed in here mm-hmm. to make it relevant yeah. and part of the zeitgeist of now. Yeah, but I think that it still could have just been a knight duel movie. Mm. And I would have gone and watched that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I enjoyed The King, you know? 
<laughs> but I did for, for what it was. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I would have probably enjoyed that film too. It just, yeah, it was just kind of the storytelling to me was not its strongest point. Okay. I will say that there were parts of this film that I do think were strong though. Such so. as a performance or two? Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we get into the performances? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just couldn't. Okay, the actual <laughs> basic truth is that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, you can't, they just can't be in a film together. Mm. They just can't actually right. be in a film together unless it's some type of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like a at meta their, something. Yeah, yeah they yeah. have spent their entire career yeah. like bonded in terms mm-hmm. of their Hollywood narrative. Yes. So you cannot disassociate that from them when you see them on screen yeah especially when you see them on on screen together that first meeting when matt damon walks up and has to like kneel before ben affleck you don't see the characters you see matt damon kneeling before ben affleck 100 percent. and And you imagine them laughing when the director calls cut and like 100 percent. yeah you cannot take you just can't yeah they just don't belong in period pieces. They're too contemporary mm. as as mm-hmm. movie stars. That's the truth. Well, I also couldn't separate Ben Affleck from his tabloid fodder right, as right. well. You know, there's a lot of articles about Ben Affleck not being very nice to women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's scenes with him in this where he's in an orgy and... Right. And he's always tempting Adam Driver's character. And I just couldn't separate that ick feeling of Mm -hmm. him, Mm -hmm. especially seeing him in this part. It just made me feel gross watching him. Yeah. Well, and also, I'm sorry, what accent was... Everyone was using a different accent. I didn't even know what country we were supposed to be. I know. I literally was... (laughs) At one point, I was like, this is in France. They're French, right? And it's like, but the thing is, there's a very long history in all these films and classic films like that of people adopting that like Englishy accent, right? Mm -hmm. No matter where, if they're playing Italian. Because could you also imagine Matt Damon (laughs) doing a French accent? But like he kind of, the the, the bit that threw me off was that they would throw it in occasionally. Yeah. It would be an occasional phrase that would be like kind of a French accent or kind of that like I'm in high school and I'm playing a medieval character accent. Yeah. But it wasn't even like a full British accent ever either. Like it was no, it was, a, it was like it was American. In, yeah. Like it was it just, very, very distracting. It was very truly. distracting. And it, and it really just plays into that what you're saying of like they can't they don't fit in that world. No, and nobody wants to watch a movie that's focused on the rape of a woman and be sitting there right. and chuckling. Laughing yes, at the yes. accent. I know, seriously. <laughs> I will say, with regards to the performance, at least to Ben Affleck's credit, he is absolutely having so much fun playing right. this character. Ugh. And also, there Too were things fun. that he was doing with his voice, not the accent. Mm. But there was ways that he was speaking in this like low rich tone that i've never heard from him before that i actually thought wow he would make a compelling voice actor in in a different project or it, hmm. it sounded like ben affleck or like, batman <laughs> no but that was different that was like oh, batman. <laughs> Growling. this was like actual kind of rich velvety deep toned ben affleck voice that i'd never heard uh, before. there is nothing soothing and velvety about ben affleck <laughs> At all to me. I just see sleaze. Yeah. Ugh. Smooth velvety sleaze? No. Pig dog. Pig dog. Um. <laughs> and, and Matt Damon, as much as I love him as an actor, and I do, and I, I think he's a, kind of an underrated actor because he usually plays pretty subdued characters or pretty, mm. you know, generic characters, but he's really capable. I just, again, he's just too much of a, like, 20th century, 21st century everyman to just play this character. I just, all I could think the whole time was, like, why isn't this Joel Edgerton? And right. I said that oh, to you after. It's yeah, like, yeah. somebody who can actually fit that. Right. Yeah. I feel like Adam Driver would have fit better if he wasn't in this with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I feel like the trifecta <laughs> of those three was just too modern. Mm. But I feel like Adam Driver, it could have been more passable if the other two weren't involved. Because I think he's a great actor. And I'm always so impressed by his 
physicality. Mm-hmm. Like his physical size is scary. It is menacing. He has um, a huge presence. A very big presence, a very deep voice. And in those scenes with Jodie Comer, you can see the physical threat, mm-hmm. even though we didn't really need to see it. But mm-hmm. you watch that and you do have a reminder of how helpless you can be in those situations with someone of that physical size. Yeah. I really did enjoy his performance, actually. I, I think he's a wonderful actor. And, you know, it says something that I enjoyed the performance of the rapist over right. <laughs> Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's characters. Yeah, I disagree with you both. Oh, really? Yeah. About I, Adam, yeah. I like Adam Driver a lot. I do agree about the physicality. Mm-hmm. But he brings that to everything. Mm-hmm. He ha- his That imposing physicality was his character on girls too Mm -hmm. it's part of his sex appeal in an odd way right um but i felt with him it was like a dialed in performance a phoned in performance Mm -hmm. i was like where's your accent like give me something i didn't get anything from him either maybe i'm just charmed by adam driver i don't know yeah, I, guess I usually am. I love him in, right. in pretty much everything. I just felt like he was being himself. Like, I think he was literally the girl's character in huh. Night Gear. I yeah. felt like he was more connected. And maybe it's because I'm basing it off of the Ben and Matt performances that <laughs> felt farcical to me. Right. That He didn't seem perf- farcical. No, Adam he didn't. His, no, Ben Affleck yeah. was in a Monty Python skit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Driver also had a better hairstyle than the other two male yeah. uh, characters. But should, can we get to Jodie Comer's performance? Right. Yes. Yeah, the actual star of this yes. film. Mm-hmm. Jodie Comer is, would her performance in this film would be the, re- the only reason to go and see it, in my opinion. Yeah. She's incredible. She's so beautiful and so subtle and effective. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I really, really enjoyed watching her. And I wanted to see more mm-hmm. of her in this film. I had never seen her in anything. Oh, Same. you had Me never seen Oh, wow. No. So this oh, my was God. You guys my... have to watch Killing Eve. She's incredible in that Yeah. Show. Incredible. But I was just in awe of her. She was yeah. so beautiful and just stoic in parts and emotional in mm. parts. And she grounded the film. She actually grounded yes. this dumpster fire. Yeah. <laughs> and she did what she could with what, what yeah. she had mm-hmm. in this and she yeah. was wonderful mm-hmm. yeah i agree mm-hmm. with that i she was definitely the standout performance for me for sure um she felt like a real person basically mm-hmm. and she's yeah in- impossibly beautiful and has a face that is gonna i'm sure that she's gonna be in a lot more feature films like killing eve's a show right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna see a lot more of her in lead roles in films i'm sure because her face just comes across on that big screen in a mm-hmm. big way mm-hmm. okay well why don't we get into some technical elements of the film such as hair such, such <laughs> as hair <laughs> right so like there were a lot of choices made <laughs> very distinct very distinct choices. choices made in this film with regards to hairstyles yeah um were were any of them historically accurate like no not really <laughs> but also not not just like about mm. a century too early as it would turn out mm. so i did do a bit of a deep dive on medieval uh, medieval mu- mullets late, <laughs> late middle ages hairstyles for men medieval mullets. um mullets were not the the tea at this time <laughs> they just simply were not um usually men had their hair like shoulder length basically adam driver's hair was like how mm. a man's hair would be right right if it weren't kind of dolled up even more but a little while after that like within a century after that it did actually become quite fashionable to do the like blunt cropped bangs right a la uh, matt damon's character right and apparently men in italy would dye their hair and that was quite common but not until the 15th or 16th century like dye their hair that bleach blonde color i don't know that they're going bleach blonde like this and also fully committing with the eyebrows and the goatee i i, I just, don't know where did that choice get made who who decided to do that but how did they think that that wouldn't be a problem or That's, that would be or a so, mockery so distracting like seeing it it's i just so distracting i assumed that there must have been historical evidence that that person looked like that because why else would they make him look that way you would assume that right. um what i can say is that with 
just a bit of preliminary research, what I could find um, from Pierre Dalancon, that person, mm-hmm. is, uh, or Dalancon probably. Uh, Did you is, scroll back through his Insta? <laughs> scroll, <laughs> scroll way back, <laughs> approximately 8 trillion posts ago, and found um, the only thing that we can find, which is a, basically like a carved bust, mm. like a statue, basically, yeah, yeah. which is headless. So oh, we'll never oh, know. Okay, well... <laughs> So it's safe to say they didn't have that information to make that choice. Correct. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say technically that is impressive is the duel itself. It's really gritty. Actually, all the fight scenes in this Mm -hmm. are so Mm -hmm. brutal and really makes you feel like you're in it with them. When you watch the final duel, there are shots where you feel like you're on the horse riding towards yeah. your opponent yeah, yeah. with them. Um, and you can Edison, feel their exhaustion. Yeah. Well, and I don't think any of us knew who won the duel, right? Like, we didn't know before seeing the movie who won. Right. So I didn't even I, know there was a fucking duel. Right. Okay. Edison well, didn't, the know, there, the movie, he but didn't all right. know there was a duel in the last duel. <laughs> so... Luckily, there was. Um, I also, the same, I yeah. made sure not to look at any yeah. history of this because I didn't want to know. I wanted yeah. the feeling of not knowing what was going to right. happen. And you leaned over to me, Edison, at, at, while we were watching it, and you said, I can't tell really who is who, who mm. is who. And that was a problem when they were filming this. They were like, the audience won't be able to tell mm-hmm. who is who. So they actually did the half I was wondering, half helmet. helmet. And that historically would not have happened. They would not be doing this duel with a half, half their face covered. But in order for us as audiences to know which one's Adam Driver, which one's Matt Damon, they had to do that for the the costume. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That makes sense. There are certain liberties that you just have to take. You have to be able to connect. It is really, really like really high stakes and you feel it. Like the tension mm-hmm. was super high throughout that, and you want yeah. to be able yeah. to connect with the actors. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I did find that scene thrilling, and mm-hmm. I, I was on the edge of my seat, like, who is going to win this duel? Mm-hmm. But that's what we want to see from mm-hmm. Ridley Scott. We want to see that in its own film, and, you know, leave this other stuff to another director. Yeah. Put it in somebody else's hands. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. The last word on the last duel. <laughs> the last word for me is that if. Big part, there's stuff about this film that can be enjoyable. And I think that there are two um, good films that could have been made Mm -hmm. from this content. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think putting them both together did not do either of them justice. Uh, Justice was not served. (laughs) Justice was not served. Yeah, last word for me. Honestly, this movie just made me angry. Um, I felt like it was capitalizing on women's history of sexual abuse in time over time all of time and i just i'm not i'm just not down with that mm. um mm-hmm. but jodie comer's uh performance is amazing and that would be the only reason i would really suggest anyone watch this film sinclair yeah this had potential to be good it really did but it was so clunky and misguided and that took away from the importance of the film's messaging And I really think it just skimmed the surface in terms of that conversation. But the last duel, that battle scene is badass. It really is. So maybe just fast forward to the very (laughs) end and just watch the actual duel. Or just actually watch the last third of the film. Yeah. And and go for Jodie Comer and for the duel. Yeah. Yeah. All right, children, it's time to tell you a little folk tale. Mm. Once upon a time, on a sheep farm in Iceland, there lived a young married couple named Ingvar and Maria. Each day, Maria and Ingvar would tend to their herds of sheep and diligently plow their very vast farmland. But despite the endless beauty of their surroundings and their peaceful way of life, the couple felt somber. Sadly, something was missing in their lives, a child. One night, while Maria and Ingvar slept soundly in their beds, an ominous presence made its way onto their tranquil land. But Maria and Ingvar didn't hear the commotion going on in the barn that night and were none the wiser as they carried on with their daily lives. One fateful day, while Maria was tending to a pregnant sheep, 
a miracle happened. <laughs> that little miracle was a lamb named Ada. But Ada was not your ordinary little lamb. Ada was special. Maria and Ingvar quickly adopted Ada as their own. But remember, children, every action has a reaction, mm. especially in a tale from A24. <laughs> yeah. Lamb asked the question, does the cycle of grief give us the right to disrupt the cycle of life? And in what circumstance can the rules of Mother Nature be broken? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like this that. film is Lamb, directed by Valdemar Johansson. This is quite the experience, isn't it? <sighs> Helen, you is. actually just saw this I a couple did. hours ago, so you are fresh out of the theater. I, yeah, fresh out of the womb of that sheep. <laughs> um. What was your first impression? First impressions, Helen. Okay, so we open with like this wintry storm happening. We see these cold horses covered in like sleet. I'm like, they look so cold. And then we go to the uh, stable where the sheep are and there's a radio playing saying Merry Christmas. And then we cut to uh, Maria who seems to be serving a Christmas dinner. And I'm like, is this going to be sort of like a no room at the end Jesus story? Mm-hmm. I was getting I was getting birth of Jesus vibes mm-hmm. from that first scene, but like very ominous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, that was my first impression. Ominous Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Edison? Um, OK, so my first impression was that that opening scene was everything. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a, a unique and wonderful way to introduce this film. We seem to be seeing through the eyes of some giant sighing something as it's like walking through that blizzard towards the horses. And what I loved was just the way the natural responses, the way that the Mm. camera caught the natural responses Mm. of these animals, Mm -hmm. right? How they reacted to one another and how they kind of moved. And then one of them took the lead and started down and then they all kind of followed the horses. They all moved in sync and followed the leader. And then when we were in the farm and we saw all these other animals and their alert eyes and close-ups of their eyes and how they would all kind of like flock to the front and look in the same direction like i was totally totally caught up in the opening of this and i was like wow i if nothing else i'm in for an original cinematic experience Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i'm fully here for it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah same when the film starts you're immediately drawn into this and just after this this opening scenes too just Mm. being completely awestricken by Iceland yeah absolutely it's so beautiful it's so moody and it's very much its own character in Mm -hmm. in this film and right off the bat you're pulled into this like very isolated world that this couple is living in and I actually was having flashbacks of God's Own Country. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because we did that film for our Valentine's Day episode. There were a lot of baby lambs in that movie as well. So God's Own Country was another movie that was very lamb heavy. So Mm. I was definitely hearkening back to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, well, why don't we get into the storytelling? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a very unique film-going experience. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I would say for the first quarter to third of this movie, there's very little dialogue. It's a lot of, yeah, like landscape shots and close-ups on animals and which I, I was I was into up until a point and then I kind of started feeling like okay let's something needs to happen yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm ready and then and then this movie takes a turn uh, when we realize what Ada is. I mean, let's just say that we're definitely going to spoil this yeah, movie. Yeah, we are going to so spoil this movie. <laughs> if you don't want to know, then you don't want to listen. <laughs> yeah, truly. Just come revisit this episode later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of storytelling, I have to say that I truly think at this point, A24 is just trolling people <laughs> with, some, with some of these films and especially oh with their trailers. I watch this film and I have been having this feeling for a while, but I have this fear that A24, like many things that start to just put out an abundance of content, Mm. that they run the risk of becoming a parody of Mm. of themselves. And there's been so many A24 films that have been put out and they've been following the same style and the same formula, but they nowhere near reach the depth that they should be or that their predecessors have. Okay. Okay. So, you know, Midsummer, Hereditary, 
The Witch, these are all very deeply unnerving films that are very rich in theme. They're very rich in character and metaphor. But what I feel like is happening here is that the trailer is leading you to believe that you're going to go in and have that level of film, Mm. but coming out not. Mm. And I think that Lamb falls into that category. I think there's an expectation that's being set up with A24 films, and there's films that are coming out that are not delivering. And that's how I felt about Lamb. So I will say that I don't recall even watching the trailer or if I did I maybe watched like 20 seconds of it Mm -hmm. and then like just clipped it yeah um so I don't remember it Mm -hmm. I do remember vaguely thinking that it was going to be a thriller or a horror or something just from a conversation so I understand that that's where that response is coming from Mm because how it was sold is not how what this film is Green Knight was the same Green Knight was the same though I do feel like Green Knight does offer a lot more in terms of depth than this one did but there was not one point during Lamb that I could even remotely take it seriously. Really? Yeah. I disagree. I actually really like this movie. I mean, it's uh, it's something, that's for sure. But I just felt like there was no real exploration of, of depth in this film. Hmm. I mean, it, it made me think. And I, I will say that I was on the fence about how I felt about it up until we realized that Ada is half lamb, half human. Um, which yes, it's absurd, but this movie's absurd. And then, but then when we realized that that is who she is, I was like, okay, I understand why they took her now. Cause at first I just thought she was like, I don't know, some cute lamb that they had, were having baby fever for. And Sinclair, you were right. I had baby fever in this movie. I knew it. And maybe that's why I liked it. But like, I, knew I, I had such baby fever. I'm like, yeah, I probably would have kept that little lamb too and put it into a little crib. Mm. Me, t- <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I will tell you, like, I also really enjoyed this film. Okay, cool. I yeah. loved watching this film. It's not nearly as meaty as, mm. you know, as a Hereditary or something like that. It's, it's not. But they're very but different it movies. They're totally different movies and it doesn't yeah. need to be. Folklore isn't necessarily meaty, mm-hmm. right? It's a, kind of a simple story. I think that this film did a great job going into grief mm. and going into what, like asking that kind of a question of what do you do? Like what, what, to what end would you go? Right. Right. Like she, it was clear at a certain point, you know, when they visited the grave specifically right. that they had lost a child yeah. also named Dada and that this, it would be so easy. You can see mm-hmm. how her, Numi Rapasa's character in this moment would have saw this little sheep baby hybrid thing (laughs) as like a gift from the gods maybe well it would only you could only view it as that because their their reaction to this little sheep hybrid which we don't know it it is a sheep hybrid yet is not a it's not anything other than oh this is a miracle yes Mm -hmm. why else would anybody not say anything in that moment or even have a look of shock or anything right yeah you truly have to suspend your dis- disbelief. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, once we realized that Ada is a hybrid, I kind of got on board because I just was like, okay, this is weird. I'm in, I, I'm going to go for it. And then I started to really analyze what I thought some of the themes of the movie could be. I got a really strong, like, anti-meat eating feeling from this movie. I don't know if you guys oh, did interesting. it all. But I started really feeling like, is this a co- uh, commentary on becoming a vegetarian? Like the moment when the brother is going to go and shoot Ada, I was like, you cannot shoot that that child. No, that of course. Lamb. Absolutely. You cannot was, shoot that it was baby. absolutely horrifying. And then I'm like, well, why don't I feel that way about a little lamb? Right. Interesting. And so, that, so I was having those kinds of questions. And then I, I guess maybe I was getting a little bit looking a little bit too much for for stuff but then i was like you know they talk about time travel in the beginning i'm like is there gonna be something to do with with time travel here and the fact that ada is a palindrome like backwards and forwards i was like does that have something to don't do don't tenet this please <laughs> for the love of god no um, but no but i love that this mm. i think that's some that's part of its allure and it's right. part of what worked for me i think maybe sinclair you had different expectations going into it no mm. i knew exactly what this is going to be I knew that the trailer was not 
representing this movie. Mm. I knew that this was going to be incredibly slow paced. I knew it was going to be vague. Mm. I knew that there was going to be different themes to explore. I just don't want to give this movie credit for actually exploring these themes because I don't think that it did. I don't think it actually explored grief. I think we're putting this on yes, the movie. I agree with 100%, that. 100%. But I actually found the the writing in this movie to be incredibly lazy. I don't think it actually delved into any of these things. I think this was incredibly surface level. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm not actually disagreeing with that. Mm-hmm. I th- I don't think that it necessarily dove in, but that wasn't a problem for me. Mm. I think I appreciated it just being a canvas. I was seeing this film as like an art, a piece mm. of an art that you just look at. Like, I mean, like a museum piece of art that you can put your own ideas on and your own thoughts about. And that worked for me. And it would it only worked because there was virtually no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciated that about it. But I agree with you. It wasn't exploring mm-hmm. it intentionally at all. But that is what A24 films do. They are a lot like a canvas, but other films have done it better and they've given more. This film asks way too much of us, hmm. way too much. And that's what I actually found to be lazy about it. Let's talk about nature versus nurture because that was a big theme that was shown in the trailer. So at the end of the trailer, it said nature and nurture. And we see that with Ada being taken from her real mother and kept by Maria. But they never actually explored nature versus nurture at any point in this film. Ada was always sweet. She was always innocent. She was always, like she would have moments where she would look at a, a photo of the other sheep and maybe wonder. But Ada to me wasn't a real character. She wasn't even a character that was causing any sort of real tension or dialogue between the husband and wife. She was just a little CGI'd lamb for us to look at and be weird. And I don't think she served any real purpose to explore any issues. So if Ada was something to explore nature versus nurture, we would have seen another side of that. We only saw nurture. And we'll get into the ending of it, but you would think at the end, you would see a flip of some sort. There was no duality in this at all. She was just one thing throughout the whole whole movie. Um, I mean, I, I didn't actually really think too much about nature versus nurture, but I did think about how nature is affected by humans and, and it retaliates. Then let's get into the ending. Let's yeah. just talk about the yeah. ending. Yeah, so at one point, Maria ends up killing Ada's real mother, sheep mother, because she keeps coming to the window and trying to get her baby back. Mm-hmm. And she kills her. Well, at the end of the film, we see that this sort of looming presence that's been occurring throughout the entire movie is an actual, similar to Ada, like a, a sheep-human hybrid, evil sheep-human hybrid who takes the gun from the house, kills the dog, and then kills the husband and takes Ada away. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as a metaphor for you destroy nature, nature will destroy you. Or a tit, tit for tat in a sense. Is he even evil? Like, yeah, yeah. But that just goes to your earlier question about like... He looks evil. <laughs> sure. But like, you know, he's just hunted. He's It's no right. different than anybody else. Imagine, you know, mm-hmm. if a cow stole some human's kid. Right. I wanted to talk about the biblical themes just mm-hmm. because you said Jesus at the beginning. So I got a ton of biblical vibes mm-hmm. from this film. I actually did wonder at one point, because when the brother comes in, I'm like, is this a story from the Bible? Mm-hmm. Like it, I it did feel like maybe it's an allegory of some sort. But. Yes. Well, see, lambs are very represented in the Bible. Uh, of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. Of, course. of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I was hoping for more like Rosemary's Baby, mm. the omen. As soon as I saw that lamb, I thought that lamb is going to be the Antichrist. Like mm. I just got these like apocalyptic vibes. Mm. and Like Ada the lamb? Yeah, I thought Otto was going to bring the actual apocalypse. That's what I was hoping for. Because <laughs> when I saw the beast, like the actual yeah. ram, yes. ram man, it reminded me of like the Revel- book of Revelations mm. where, and I looked this up because I was having Revelation vibes. 
It says, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Mm-hmm. So there's some really cool apocalyptic stuff Allegory. in this that I yeah. did that I yeah. did really enjoy, for sure. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. Ram Man was actually in a dream that the director had. Yeah. Because I wanted to find yeah. out if that was based on an actual Icelandic folktale mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. it's a bunch of different poems and art and imagery it had like centaur qualities to it mm-hmm. and it was a whole bunch of things that inspired the film but it wasn't one specific like mythological type of creature mm-hmm. however i did look up the symbolism okay <laughs> tell us of a ram and a lamb <laughs> So obviously the lamb represents innocence, purity, mm-hmm. sacrifice, and they're symbolic of naivete, childhood, mm-hmm. and family. Mm-hmm. The ram is a symbol of boldness, new beginnings, new paths of power. Their presence is that of an ancient warrior. Mm-hmm. They have defiant attitudes, and they also represent the circle of life. And we mm-hmm. see the film come yes. full circle yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is what I mean. Like, I I really appreciated the the kind of folklore mythology uh-huh. of this film. It didn't go into it a whole ton, and it didn't need to for me. It was a kind of a bare bones narrative that was just letting me dance along this weird, weird world. If it wasn't shot so beautifully, I probably would not have enjoyed this film in the same way. If we didn't have compelling performances, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have enjoyed the film in the same way. But we did have those mm-hmm. elements. And they all came together to make a really enjoyable film for me. Um, okay, performance. I really enjoyed uh, Numi Rapace in this. I've, I only really know her from Prometheus. And the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, which one of those? Was the, she Swedish one. The, the Swedish one. She's the original. original. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And I should. She is very, again, like kind of like Jodie Comer, like really engaging uh, in her face. And yeah, she has like the most defined cheekbones. <laughs> yeah, her face is just completely insane looking. Yeah. In in I mean that in the most complimentary way mm-hmm, possible. Mm-hmm. She's stunning to look at. She's just one of those faces that you just uh, she doesn't even have to do anything and you're just like I just want to look at your face. Mm-hmm. It is inherently so expressive, but she also just has these eyes and she talked about it being this really unique experience working without much of a script for her. Um, and she loved that. She loved going into that and being able to try and communicate her relationship with her partner, her husband in this film, through just like glances right. and through body language and through the way that she would pick up a mug even. And Yeah. Well, and I, I read something too about how there are so many shots of the animals and how like their body language and their eye movements and stuff and that there was a lot of um, dialogue that got cut out and that they were kind of working a lot with the humans in this movie behaving the same way and, you know, working off of body language and eye eye movement and stuff like that, which I found really interesting because there is a lot of that, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. What did you feel about the performances? I really like her, mm-hmm. Numi Rapace. I could honestly stare at her face. Even if she's not saying anything, honestly, I think I do like looking at her face. She's very captivating. And she, I don't think she was given enough with this really to work with, but I think she has a very stoic presence, but there's a lot of volatile energy that's bubbling underneath with her. And I think that's why she makes an amazing Lisbeth yeah, Salander. Yeah, 100%. She's strong. Yeah. Even physically, she looks really strong. And you believe her that she would know how to just give birth to a lamb. And what's fascinating about this is that she was actually filming in New Orleans up until the day before they shot. Like she flew to Iceland on Sunday and their first day of filming was on Monday and she had to give birth to a lamb on Monday. Yeah, she definitely has like farm vibes. Like I like believed her working on the farm. It didn't feel like... She has capable vibes. Right, And that translates whether she's working on a farm or whether she's assassinating rapists. She's just (laughs) believed that she just gives me, like, I can get shit done vibes. So in terms, like, a couple technical things. You just mentioned about the birthing of the lambs. Um, So, yeah, she showed up and I guess they had a farmer and there were 10 pregnant sheep there that they had to work with for the shooting. And she watched the uh, farmer give birth to two lambs and then was like, okay, put me in coach and like started birthing out those lambs. 
And then, yes, in terms of the actual uh, creation of Ada, I had said before it was 10 children. It was actually 20 children that they used. So 20 kid, like child actors, four lambs and two puppeteers that were used to construct the Ada scenes. And every one of her, the scenes that Ada was in, they did actually shoot. Like it wasn't just CGI. And so it took a very long time. (laughs) So they would shoot every scene with the lambs and then with the children and then have to like mix them together. And animals and kids are both quite unpredictable. So it was very difficult. (laughs) Oh my God. I can imagine. Yeah. So the I thought that the standout of this film, which surely we all agree on, including you, Sinclair, must have been the cinematography, the way yeah. that it was shot. Mm-hmm. These landscapes. I mean, the thing about Iceland is that it is such a dramatic landscape that it just becomes a character, whether you intend it to or not. Right. right? It's just yeah. so that. It'd be difficult not to, but this film was really breathtaking. Yeah. And it really made you feel feel like you were in this place yeah mm-hmm. for sure it made you feel like you were in a, a fairy tale kind of or in or a, a folk, folk tale, tale. <laughs> yeah totally yeah. all right last word on lamb sinclair i think that this film had potential i don't think it delved deep enough to explore any of the themes that it presented i thought i thought this was a ridiculous movie and a24 not that you care, but if you are listening, <laughs> quality over quantity, please. Edison? The last word for me is that I thought this was a really, really unique theater-going experience. I loved it, actually. Um, it was definitely <laughs> weird, but I really loved watching this movie. I thought it was anchored by a really great performance from Numi Rapaz. I thought it was beautifully shot. And I just thought it was this weird little story that I'd never seen before. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is definitely unique. It's definitely not for everybody. But I I really liked it. And I would watch it again. And I was really moved by it. Like, by the end of the film, I felt, like, really sad. But also, like, uh, entranced (laughs) at the same time. Um, Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And become a Patreon member, patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. <laughs> and I'm Edison. Thanks for listening. Ugh. <laughs>